0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Pastor Trent cannot be here today, and so we have the uh, honor of Brother Howard Daniel getting to be here. And, uh, he is uh, part of our church, he's, uh, and he's been around for some time, but he is something that we call an intentional interim. Intentional interim, did I say that right? It's, I did this first service. So I just had to double check. I want to see the business card. Just kidding. Intentional interim. And, uh, and and he has served in churches, and that's what he does. He goes to churches that are looking for pastor, and he helps them. That's not the case with us. I want to clarify that. <laughs> pastor could not be here today. And he, <laughs> he jumped in uh, and just in the nick of time, and he's got a word to share with you. So can you welcome him today? Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, Trent and I are friends, and uh, I pastored at South Park in Alvin, my home church, for seven years. And when I started this other ministry, uh, we started attending here when I'm not tied up. And uh, so, you know, Trent and I have shared things together, prayed together, done lunch together, and it's always great to have a pastor friend. I know that you know that you have a great pastor in Trent Henderson, and he and Jenny. And their family are such a blessing to you here at Heritage Baptist Church. And Trent, hey, Trent and Jenny we're praying for you guys and your family, and God bless you. So it's really an honor for me to get to share God's Word with you this morning. I told uh, the first service, I said, man, I'm just pinch-hitting, and so my goal is just not to strike out, you know. Um, I invite you to open God's Word to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to read in a moment verses 23 uh, through 33. And we're going to talk about this morning the characteristics of a praying church. Of course, a church, as you know, it's not a building. It's not a building, right, church? It's not a building. It's not an address. It's not a location. A church is not an organization, though we're organized. A church is an organism, made up of, as Peter would say years later, living stones being built up into a spiritual house. So every one of you who've been born again into the family of God, you're a believer, you're hooked up with Heritage Park Baptist Church, you are a member of this church. You are the church. And so this morning, if we're going to talk about the characteristics of a praying church, that means... Not just collectively, that means if, you're, if you are going to be a praying church, then the members have to pray. Got it? So everything I say about the church corporately, I'm also saying to Howard and, and to you individually as well. Charles Spurgeon was a great, great preacher and pastor of yesteryear across the pond in the 19th century and preached in that great metropolitan tabernacle, I think they held about 5,000 people, no sound system, no video, and yet his voice could be heard over the entire congregation. Amazing. Young pastors sometimes would take off on a Sunday, and they would come visit the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and Spurgeon would host them, and he would give them a tour of the great uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle. And when they finished the tour, Spurgeon would say, do you want to see the boiler room? And they'd say, nah, we don't need to see the boiler room. And Spurgeon would insist. He says, I want to show you the boiler room. So they'd go down into the basement. And there they would find 100 people praying. And Spurgeon would say, this is my boiler room. And every time somebody asked Spurgeon about the fruitfulness, the success of his ministry, Spurgeon would say, my people, Pray for me. It is a testimony to the power of a praying church. Let me give you the backdrop of Acts 4, beginning in verse 23. It starts really in the first verse of chapter 3, where Peter and John are going to the temple to, quote, pray. But before they ever get to the temple, they encounter a man who was lame, and he was begging And Peter and John did not have any money. And so they said, silver or gold we do not have, but but what we do have we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And immediately the man was healed, his legs were strengthened, and he began to walk and dance around, and a crowd began to gather. Obviously, there was a great miracle. There was someone that they recognized there, probably placed regularly there, and they knew he couldn't walk. They knew he was lame, and yet now he's prancing around and walking around, and Peter and John just took that as an opportunity, church, just to preach Jesus, just to preach Jesus. And so people believed, and a great crowd was formed, but the Jewish authorities, they did not like it. And they got the temple guards, they rained down on the party, they dispersed the crowd, and they arrested Peter and John. Late in the day, they didn't know what to do because clearly a great miracle had been done. And here they are preaching Jesus whom they killed and who Peter and John are saying is alive. And they didn't want that to get out. And so the next day they called them before the the authorities and they threatened them. And they said, hey, you've got to stop all this stuff about Jesus. you got to stop preaching about Jesus. And then they released them. And we pick it up in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, that is, when the church had heard this, Maybe it was the entire church. Some believe it may have been uh, a group of the, the, the leadership of the church, B- but it was the church. And, and when they heard this, notice what was their response. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant our father David. Then they quoted in their prayer, Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. What a dramatic passage. We find that the church was under threat of the government. We know that they had the power to arrest because they had done it. They also had the authority to kill because they killed Jesus. This was a true threat from outside. What would they do? Notice the first characteristic of a praying church. Prayer is the first response, not a last resort. I mean, so often what what I do, and I think it's probably what you do, when something comes into my life, when something happens in our lives, or when something comes in, in the life of a church, what do we do? We want to call a deacons' meeting. We want to call a committee. I've been there. I've been a pastor for over thirty years. It is just, you know, in our nature, we got to do something. We got to meet. We got to make a decision. And so often, what we do is we come up with our man-made solutions, and, and then we say, "Oh, God, would you bless what we decided is 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 best?" Well, what's wrong with that picture? And and, and then. And then when things go awry, it's 911, God. Why didn't you answer our prayer? But here we find that prayer was the first response, not a last resort. I I read about an African animal called a new. Has anybody heard of the new? Oh, man, that's awesome. Man, you're smart. GNU, it's a gazelle-like creature. And here's the the unique thing about the new, that when it is uh, approached by a predator, it immediately goes to its knees. And when the predator gets closer, then the new leaps from its knees and attacks. Man, what a picture of spiritually what our lives ought to be like. When we're under attack, when we have troubles and difficulties, immediately what we ought to do is get on our knees and pray. Now let's look at this prayer because this prayer takes up the majority of this section of Scripture. Notice recognition. They begin by recognizing God. They called him the sovereign Lord. Let's talk about that for a minute. You see, the word sovereign has to do with having all authority and all power. The word Lord, we get our English word uh, despot from. The king, the monarch, the one who rules over all. So you put those two together, and Jesus is the sovereign Lord, that means the buck stops with him. He said that in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen: all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It stops right here. I'm it. And then, and then they recognized him, if you'll notice in the scripture, as the creator. That goes hand in hand. If he's the sovereign Lord, then he created everything. How do you start your prayers? With you? With the issue? With the problem? With telling God what to do? He is worthy of our affirmation. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of us being recognized for who He is, the Sovereign Lord. He's the Sovereign Lord over everything. But the real question is, is He your Sovereign Lord? Have you crowned Him, not just as Savior, but as your Sovereign Lord? They recognized Him. And we need... To praise our God and affirm Him and recognize Him with praise for who He is. And then release. They were doing exactly what Psalm 55.22 had told them to do. Cast all your anxiety on Him and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be forsaken. And if you walk through that, that those next few verses, what you discover is that they just, you know, reality, reality. Here it is. This is current reality. This is the problem. This is the issue. This is what's going on. This is it. You said in Psalm 2 that, hey, man, the time would come when the nations would rage. It's happened. It's happened in our time through Herod and Pontius Pilate. It's happening now. So we really are not surprised because you said it would happen and it is happening. But what we're doing is just releasing it to you. We're laying it at your feet. We're putting it at the foot of the cross because we don't know the answer. And then we see requests. Okay, this is, this is really makes me think as a pastor. What would I have in a church meeting under those situations, what would I have asked my church to pray for? Lord, save us. Lord, those leaders are evil. Eliminate them. Lord, is it time to go underground? Lord, is it is it time for us to maybe not meet on a few Sundays, you know, and kind of let this thing die down? No, they didn't pray any of that. Notice what they prayed. (laughs) Just incredible. Two things that they prayed. Consider your threats, verse 29, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's the first thing. That was their first request. You see, it was about evangelism. It was about reaching people. The language in the New Testament is that they had been sharing their faith. They had been boldly sharing their faith. And under this provocation, these threats, they prayed, help us not to be cowardice. Help us not to fade in the background. Help us to not be ashamed. Help us to continue to share your word boldly. When's the last time that you shared your faith with somebody? I've said for years, and for me, the easiest way to do it is just to tell your story. Everybody here that's a Christian, you have a story. You don't have to memorize anything. You don't have to memorize an outline. You don't have to memorize verses. Just tell your story in three minutes or less about how you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Just tell your story and say... I'm not perfect, still got issues in my life, but I know that Jesus is there. And I know I'm heaven bound. And what he's done for me, I know he'll do for you if you'll trust him. Man, it's just as simple as that. But we're in a culture that pushes back and we're in a time that pushes back and it's so easy just to fade into the woodwork. But we need to be bold in these times. Not beating people over the head, not being you know, ugly or rude or judgmental. But just in gentleness and humility and love, we have to speak the word of God boldly. Share your faith. But notice the second thing they pray. It really goes hand in hand. It was very kingdom focused. Stretch out your hand, God, to heal and perform signs and wonders. So it, it was not about them. It was about the king, Jesus. And you put these two together, and they were really very evangelistic because they were concerned about people continuing to come to know the Lord. Their prayer was to the king, and it was about the kingdom. And when churches make it about King Jesus and make it about the kingdom, then, then I want to tell you the power the power of God is unleashed. But too often we make it about ourselves, my thing, what I want, where our feelings on our shirt sleeves. Nobody here does that. I know that. I'm just saying. It's just, you know, hypothetical. But folks, we have to sharpen it these days and make it about Jesus the King, and we have to make everything we do within the context about his kingdom. We sing that song right out of Scripture, Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Oh, it's easy to sing that. It's a lot harder to make it the focus, isn't it? Prayer is the first response, not a last resort. Here is the second characteristic. Prayer results in God doing only what God can do. Here's a great quote. You've probably heard the name E.M. Bounds. Wrote a lot of books on prayer. He wrote, when the church is in the condition of prayer, God's cause always flourishes and his kingdom on earth always triumphs. When the church fails to pray, God's cause decays and evil of every kind prevails. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. Notice that in, uh, we, we move down to verse 31, and it says, After they prayed, we get the results. And it was very centered on the believers. The results, the answer, God's response may not be what you would think it would be. But we move through it. First, believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit for just a minute because if you're a Christian, by the way, you can't become a Christian apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's totally impossible. You're not smart enough. You're not perceptive enough. You couldn't do it. John chapter 16, those first few verses, they tell us, they're very clear that that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and convinces us of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The light bulb just didn't go off one day for you. And you said, oh, I think I need a Savior. No, it was the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And then you're born again by the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 8 says that we are born of the Spirit. And when that happens, by the way, it's Titus 3, 5 says that salvation is the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then indwells you. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 27, Christ in you. The hope of glory. And he's in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. So you have him. All of them That you'll ever need. That you'll ever have. You've got him in you if you are a Christian. If you have repented of your sin. And if you have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The Holy Spirit is in you. Problem. We're not always filled with God's Spirit. The, the filling of the spirit. I like to put it this way. It means being under the influence. You know what that means? We're to be under the. In, we don't want to be under the influence of alcohol, but rather we're to be under the influence of the spirit. How many of you recently have had to do what <laughs> what I did week before last and water your lawn in this heat? Or have it? I I have a half an acre. I don't have a sprinkler system, so it's dragging hoses. And hook it. I see shaking heads out there. Listen, it's torture. And sometimes when I move the sprinkler, because the hose is so long, I don't want to walk all the way back to the faucet. So I'll just take the hose and crimp it. Yeah, I see heads shaking. So the water's still on. The water is still flowing. But it's not getting to the sprinkler because it's crimped. Church, listen, sin crimps the flow of the Spirit of God. You're still saved. God's Spirit is still there. But you're not totally under the influence because there's a blockage there. And it's sin. It it is grieving the Holy Spirit. It is putting out the Spirit's fire or quenching the Spirit, as Thessalonians says. And, And, you know, when I would uncrimp that hose, bingo, the water flows and the sprinkler goes off. So how do we uncrimp our lives spiritually? Do you sometimes feel crimped spiritually? Like, man, I know I'm saved, I know I've got this, but everything is just not hunky-dory. I just don't feel the way I should feel spiritually. It's sin. It's nearly always sin. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and we clear it through confession and repentance. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. And it's just that simple. So here you have a church where the individual members were filled with God's Spirit. That's dangerous, man. That's a dangerous church. When the people are under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And, And notice the second thing that happened. Believers boldly shared the Word of God. They boldly shared their faith. They had asked God. Their request, their first request was, under this provocation, in these trying times, we've been sharing the word, help us to continue to share the word. And God answered that through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. He empowered them, and they continued to tell other people about Jesus Christ. They boldly shared their faith. They shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And people believe, and even under this difficult circumstance, the church continued to grow. So I would say to you again, pray for that person in your life that you know needs Jesus. You got a neighbor, you got a coworker, you got somebody you go to school with. You listen, you know somebody who doesn't go to church, and you're almost dead certain they're not a Christian. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray for a divine appointment to to just tell your story and just to tell them about Jesus. How else are they going to know? Listen, growing churches, regardless of their size, their makeup, their organization, their ministries, they all have one characteristic, and it's people reaching people for Jesus. Because you can reach people that Trent and Jarrett and Tyler and Frank can never reach it's on you but we notice a third result believers were united in heart and mind one of the things that i've discovered in, in, <laughs> in my ministry is that a lot of churches are are crossed i know you, you got a great church and and a great spirit here and you're united you got a wonderful pastor but many churches get off track i mean it's like it's like you're on this you know railroad track to heaven It's it's the salvation rail and everything is just going along and then they get derailed. They get get off the track when they get selfish, when they get self-centered, when they begin to focus on their feelings. And what happens is they have their own little agendas rather than being about the king or the kingdom and it derails that unity. But what we find here is that they were filled with the spirit. And and therefore, their, their unity was a spiritual unity. They were one in heart and mind. Did they all wear the same shirt? No. Did they all have the same opinions? No. Did they all think the same way? No. Did they all come up with the same solutions to the problem? No. There was diversity there. It wasn't uniformity, but yet there was a unity that was there, that was spiritual. It was in heart and mind. And I firmly believe it was because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, but I also believe it was because their focus was on King Jesus and on his kingdom and not their thing. Ephesians 4.3, years later, Paul challenged that church make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. So are you doing that here at Heritage Park? Are you doing your part, making every effort, stretching, straining, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? One heart, one mind. Fourth, believers were selfless in their actions, selfless in their actions. Now, notice, man, this is really amazing. They did not have government support in that day and time, no Social Security, no unemployment, none of that, nothing. What they had was the church. And and, and so we read in verse 22 that no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Everything. Everything. Move down to verse 34. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. They were selfless. They weren't greedy they cared about other people remember what jesus said give and it will be given to you press down good measure and running over you can never outgive jesus you can never you can never outgive listen we're god has given us eternal life through jesus christ our lord it's a gift and we're to be givers and not takers and there are too many churches too many members too many believers today that are takers they want to, you know, they, they want to take things for themselves. They want to have their own little empires. But we are to be givers, as we share the word of God and as we physically, materially, at times financially, meet the needs of others. You would have nothing without the gift of the Savior. And then, and then finally, the result: believers were blessed. With God's favor, God's grace. That that last part of verse thirty-three is just an awesome way to end this passage. It, it just sums it all up uh, by simply saying, "And God's grace was so powerfully—it's mega. God's grace was so mega at work in them all. This this church was a favored church. It was it was a God favored church. God's grace, His unlimited, unmerited." Undeserved favor. We are saved by God's favor, God's grace. Ephesians 2 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is what, church? The gift of God. You're not good enough. You could never be good enough. It's only by God's grace. And we serve by God's grace, don't we? Here's a church that was enveloped in the grace, the favor of God, and they're serving, meeting needs, sharing the word of God. It was all grace because God's great grace was upon them. And out of that grace, in the power of the Holy Spirit, they served. And grace sustains us in difficult times. They were going through a difficult time, and yet they were thriving, not just surviving, because of God's amazing grace. Paul banged on the doors of heaven and said three times, Man, heal me, God. Take this thorn in the flesh away. Second Corinthians 12, God said, My grace is sufficient. It always is, isn't it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Do you know the grace of God? Have you experienced the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ? You can today if you'll repent of your sin, Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He loves you so much. How much? He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose again victoriously. He is the sovereign Lord and he longs to save you. He longs to envelop you with his amazing grace and his amazing love. Church, this was a favored church. Because they understood that prayer was fundamental and not supplemental to the life of the church. And this is what I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to be a praying church. I want to challenge you to be a praying believer. Do you pray? Oh, yeah, everybody prays on the way to work. Here, there, something happens, we breathe a prayer. But but do you have a place? Do you have a plan? Are you prepared? Do you have a time, a dedicated time to pray, and including in that prayer time? Praying for your pastor and his family and the great ministry of this church. Make prayer a significant part of your life. We're going to sing one more song, and uh, the band's going to come. Frank's going to come. And I just challenge you to to pray and to ask God about your own prayer life, to ask God about, hey, you got to... Man, I'm so glad I don't have to be here at 5 o'clock for the budget meeting. Man, I've been through so many of those over the years. Uh, God bless you. I'll pray for you. Uh, But listen, you guys, pray about that meeting. Pray about what God wants to do in the next year for this marvelous and wonderful church. And if you have a decision to make, um, man, you can come kneel at the altar and pray. If you want to give your life to Christ, you want to know more about this church, you can hook up with one of the staff members after the service. They'll be glad to talk to you. Let me close in prayer, and I would ask you then to stand. And go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray, and we'll sing one more song. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you uh, for the challenging reminder of this wonderful passage. Life comes hurling at us just like it did those believers in that church in the first century world. And the only way we can be prepared is as, is as we pray and as we lean upon you and your amazing grace. Lord, I, I just, my real request to you is that you would convict the members of this church to pray more, to have a planned prayer time. And to pray for their church and their pastor and every decision they make. Lord, we're like the disciples. We just say humbly, Lord, teach us to pray. In the name of Christ, amen.